Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Fuck off, overproduced by Martin Hannett, take four. And welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast, the Hurricane Edition. Hurricane. <laughs> I'm Joe, and uh, with me as always is uh, Hurricane Doug. Uh, sorry, I mean Nick. Oh, do you, do, lizard name. Lizard name alert. It's, uh, it... The hurricane, like, I, so if, for people unaware, by the time this comes out, I guess we'll know how this hurricane ends. But <laughs> I'm currently in Oahu, Hawaii, and a Hurricane Douglas is barreling towards us. Uh, the the least intimidating hurricane name on Earth. Yeah, it's almost like Cause, Peter cause it's, from Deadpool 2. It's Dougie. It's like fucking uh, uh, from Austin Powers, like, oh, you're Dougie! Cool. It's Dougie! Except, like, I have to stock up on water because Dougie might come fuck my shit up. Hopefully the lizard sticks it out with you. Yeah, I mean, the, if the geckos start running, I know I should follow them. Because um, they, they're they here first. They know how this shit yeah. works. And I bet you he's probably questioning why you're not boarding stuff. I don't know. I wouldn't board anything, knowing me. I mean, none of my neighbors are. Which And, like, that, as someone who is a complete outsider here, uh, none of my neighbors are boarding anything up. Which means I am taking that as like a comfort blanket that they know what they're doing. Either that, or they're lazy as shit, and they're like, "Yeah, whatever." Like, and I, and I'm not sure which one it is. Um, but you'll find out after I, your first one. I will find out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's boat comes sailing through my window, I know. <laughs> Should have boarded it up. Yep. Like, oh, should have put some plywood over that motherfucker. Uh, so, Nick. Today, we are going to tackle something that we have been talking about for literally years. And before I get into the topic, I am going to say a few things to you and see if you can figure this out. And these phrases probably uh, will sound familiar. They were just following orders, or they were just fighting for their homeland. They were just soldiers. Wehrmacht. Clean Wehrmacht! Hit the hip-hop siren, we're fucking doing it. Nice. I am so sorry. Uh, for the hip hop this town that we have, or for the the, the everything. Uh, so before we uh, get super far into this, we will be talking about horrible war crimes in the Eastern Front of World War II. If that bothers you, go ahead and log off. Uh, you don't want to listen to this one. Um, so the reason why this came up is one, I'm petty, and I don't like it when people do bad history, and um, it's 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 pretty much accepted now uh, by most reputable historians. I will say actual historians uh, that the clean Wehrmacht myth is just that it's a myth. But the fact that they came to that is actually a relatively new uh, school of research, and we'll talk about how we got to that point. But 
this kind of belief permeates Western thought still, uh, assuming you're not German uh, for the most part. Germans are pretty good on their education, this sort of thing, uh, now. Oh, that's good. But recently, uh, with all the protests going on and everything, a lot of people are looking into the history of law enforcement and how it props up fascism, which you should. Uh, but you should do it correctly. And uh, there's a large stream of tweets that came out, I won't say who did it, about how cops, not soldiers, were the perpetrators of the Holocaust. That is incredibly wrong in so many different ways. Um, so that is finally the catalyst that got me, because this, this shit got a lot of traction, and historians everywhere were like, wait, no, 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 this isn't right, but you know how that works. We were roundly ignored. Oh, yes. So I'm going to bitch about it more. The old water in the bucket trying to take down the fire. Yeah, I, 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 sir, I understand that you literally have a PhD in uh, researching this very particular part of history, but I saw it on Facebook, yes. uh, which means you suck. Um, so before I get into it, the German Reserve and Order Police, Gestapo, etc., very obviously did have a role in the Holocaust. That part is not being argued here. Uh, but we are talking about the myth of the clean Wehrmacht, that being they were an apolitical army that was a, simply a victim of having a despot in charge of their country. Hmm. And, uh, you know, and we're going to talk about how in the hell we are sitting in the year 2020 and we are talking about how the fuck the Wehrmacht of World War II was, in fact, bad. We're still having this conversation because I'm going to say... Uh, I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm willing to bet the vast majority of our listeners are probably already aware of this, or at least suspicious of this. Cool. Put this in your, use this as a tool. Put it in your pocket and throw it out next time someone wants to make a fucking ass of themselves and they talk about Erwin Rommel. Yeah. It'll happen. I promise. Reenactors um, somehow find themselves saying, they just follow in orders. Oh. So, like, congratulations, you literally used the Nuremberg defense. Gotcha. <laughs> well done! Um... So in order to get to this point, we have to start all the way back in 19th and uh, 19 or the late 1930s when World War II started. I'm kidding. We're not doing a thousand part series in World War II just so I can point out that Nazis are bad. So I'm going to yada, yada, yada my way through the entirety of World War II until 1945, uh, which might be our biggest yada, yada, yada so far. Anyway, Nazi Germany was defeated and uh, thankfully world peace happened afterwards and nothing bad ever happened again. Um, That'd be awesome. Now the Allied <laughs> right. The Allied powers represented by Joseph Stalin, Winston Churchill, and Harry Truman all got together at the Potsdam Conference. They're doing body uh, shots off each other. Fuck yeah. Uh, eight weeks. This is, has happened about eight weeks after victory in Europe Day uh, on May 8th. So uh, Churchill would be replaced by Clement Attlee as prime minister after the elections. Not that that's super important. I just think that's kind of incredible that the conservative party who managed to Lose an election after seeing the party through, or seeing the country through one of the most destructive wars in human history. Well done, everybody. You did it. Um, normally, that's supposed to engender, like, I don't know, confidence, but nope, he lost. Um, and FDR just died, so he's replaced by Truman. Now, a lot of this uh, only matters because of interpersonal reasons, like Churchill thought Stalin was the devil, while FDR actually thought he wasn't that bad of a guy. And. Uh, <laughs> And thought Stalin would actually work with the U.S. to spread world democracy and look peace. That mustache. Look, at that, look, that's a trustworthy mustache. You, you can't. I mean, look, it, you only can just distrust people with small mustaches <laughs> in the middle of yeah. their lip. Yeah. Big, full mustaches. Yeah. Sign of trust. Uh, nope. Maybe FDR died from being a fucking idiot. <laughs> uh, but 
Uh, in short, all this shit makes for the worst sitcom in history, and everybody pretty much hated everyone by the end of the Potsdam Conference because it started in July and went all the way through August. Jesus. Uh, so, like, a lot of changes happened, whereas that far, so far during the war, pretty much everybody had remained in power. And Joseph Stalin certainly wasn't leaving power anytime <laughs> soon. So, <laughs> so he was the one, uh, the, the one standard bearer there, which is never good. Um, now, the Potsdam Conference's goals were pretty much focused on how the hell these three powers with vastly different goals in mind were to govern over the defeated Germany. Spoiler alert, not great, uh, but we will get there. At the end of the meeting, they came up with the Potsdam Agreement. The agreement hashed out the Allied occupation zones and proposed uh, reconstruction efforts in Germany. Another part was like the creation of the London Charter, which led to the ground rules of the Nuremberg Trials, which saw the worst Nazis who hadn't had the good manners to kill themselves or otherwise die get strung up by a badly trained American soldier who was almost certainly <laughs> drunk while he carried out the executions. Good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, also, there's like a small subplot that uh, uh, Charles de Gaulle wasn't invited because FDR didn't like him, and FDR was dead by the end of it, and uh, Harry Truman didn't invite him as a, like a sign of respect to FDR. Really? So, yeah, so Charles de Gaulle got pissed, uh, even because the French got a zone of control, but then did not implement the Potsdam Agreement at all and just kind of did their <laughs> own thing. <laughs> Uh, which included using, like, thousands and thousands of German POWs to clear mines. <laughs> a lot of them died. Uh, I mean, I'm not here to, like, get sympathy for German POWs of World War II, but, like, most of the people captured were uh, were rather young. <laughs> so they're using, like, 18 and 17-year-olds, like, go stomp clear that landmine, Haas. A lot of people DDR died. across the field. Uh, but it it also went over the demilitarization of the former Nazi Germany Uh, the thing that Americans only understand when it happens to other people that being demilitarization Uh, they were also to undergo very strict denazification efforts to cut out Hitler's bullshit like a cancer it was uh, the problem was that did not go over great and it turned out that was kind of the design of, of Hitler's bullshit because he made sure to intertwine Nazism into every fab- every layer of fabric in, Germ- in German life. Uh, the Allies would have to tear it out just as carefully, and they would, wouldn't be so good at it. This includes things like, I mean, Nazism was in, is in society, it's, it was in the culture, it was in the Cleaning media. Your dishes. It, yeah, you had, to have, you had to have a party member uh, certificate to clean your dishes. The economy, politics, and even the judiciary like symbols were banned and destroyed, which most of them still are today. And I think we all remember the iconic footage of the giant swastika being blown up on top mm-hmm. of the building. Um, that's why that, yeah, that it, shit was sold in the black market. Yeah. And that's where a lot of it ended up surviving to this day. Um, amid and high ranking members of the party that were still alive were detained uh, including around 400,000 who were thrown into Allied internment camps. And when I say Allied, I mean American, British, French. I will specifically talk about Soviet internment camps later. Uh, Are you guessing big difference between the two? Not great, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, on, a, on a human rights level, like if, if you truly believe in karma, you will totally agree with what I'll talk about <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this is all made easier by the fact that uh, a German anti-Nazi activist got his hand on 
the entire party list, like the member list, and turned it over to the Allied Intelligence. Party and another. It's important to note here that party membership doesn't mean a whole lot in a in a world quite like Nazi Germany because it was made to be a super important part of everyday German life. Like in order to get to college, you had to swear an oath to Hitler and the party, and they would take a note that you did. Um, it, 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 back during our uh, White Rose episode, that's why a lot of them dropped out of oh, college yeah. because they they refused to take that oath. Um, so it was really hard to come up with an actual list of hardcore Nazis or just people who like happened to become part of the Nazi party because they fucking wanted to major in history and then start a bad podcast later in life. Uh, like it, it literally to do anything, even like a middle management job at a shitty dead end, like manufacturer, you had to be a party. Really? Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things they did in order to make Nazi party or Nazism part of your everyday right. life. Um, so it should have been after like a, vetting, like a test. Are you a Nazi? Yes or no? <laughs> Hold on, let me measure your thumb. All right. Hitler sends a letter out to you. Do you like me? Circle yes or no. <laughs> uh, now, Allied Intelligence did a lot of footwork when it came to like vetting and filtering this list of like, okay, these people were members like in like 1939. Like they definitely oh, believe in Nazism. Sure. Or they like they had an actual organizational role within the party, so that still whittled the list down to seven million Jesus fucking people. Christ. Yeah, <laughs> you got to find those uh, so, those hipster Nazi people where they're like, we liked it before it became mainstream in Germany. I hated Jews before <laughs> Hitler did. <laughs> Get in the camp, sir. Uh, yeah, and like so they they got the numbers up to seven million people, and then they all they had they realized they're gonna have to individually interview these people and decide it. That's a that's a lot of fucking people. <laughs> now the long term goal was to remove these people from positions of power and influence within the government, public services, and the military, and make sure they could never do anything like that again. Um, now this meant that. The, these people became what are known as like low labor. So if you were like a verified member of the Nazi party, you can literally only do manual labor really? as, as a job. Make, make yes. It, make it seem like a punishment. I like manual labor. God damn it. I do. I do not. Uh, but thankfully I'm not a Nazi. That's so true. I'm good. Uh, I would just get thrown into the communist camps, which are different. Uh, uh, this, led to a pretty big problem because ally, the allies were kind of stupid. And like the reasons why I just explained to you, that every, almost every qualified person, doctor, lawyer, engineer, were all party members because they had to be. So oh, this led wow. to an accidental brain drain of qualified <laughs> Germans. Uh, a full 42% of the public work- workforce was summarily fired. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, almost every economic leader that, like, even the ones that connected to Nazi uh, profiteering, like, use slave labor and stuff like that. Uh, had been fired. Uh, I mean, rightfully so. Fuck those guys. But also, that meant like you unemployed an entire country, and nobody uh, and nobody has the experiment, uh, the experience or knowledge to replace the people that you now made like digging trenches out back. So like, s- sir, the cardiologist is uh, is digging a <laughs> hole. Uh, uh, like that meant nobody was really left how to run the country. Right. Uh, so they did they did dig in pretty deep to find other people. So they were left with a pretty big deficit of knowledgeable people to rebuild the country. 
on top of this, the Allies realized that their caseload of like processing literally millions of German people was so comically large, they simply couldn't do it. So they turned it over to the Germans themselves, uh, who were not Nazi members. I mean, kind of. Is that them too? Yes, kind of. Uh, not not so great. Uh, the numbers were so large, it was very easy for someone to fall through the cracks. As long as you weren't like an SS member, you could probably get away with eventually prosecuting people that you knew and worked with. Huh. Uh, but the Germans also ran into the same problems. Like, we have so many people to process and not enough people. So the program quickly expanded and expanded and expanded. Um, and it soon grew so large that oversight was impossible, uh, and it was still not nearly big enough to actually screen everybody. Right. Um, as the Allies rushed to bring Germans on board, they accidentally hired several Nazi collaborators, <laughs> who then would oversee investigations into <laughs> other Nazis. They really just uh, throw stuff under the rug, like, oh, no, he's good. He, he's one of the good ones. Uh, nope. He has a Nazi uh, tattoo on his neck that was forced on him. It, t- it turns out that swastika tattoo has an X cross through it that looks kind of fresh, yeah. but and like it's not even it's it's is that Sharpie? <laughs> uh, the problem was they also employed a lot of judges. Uh, almost all judiciary judges um, in Germany were party members because they had to be. Now. Some of them were actual loyalists and believed in it. Others weren't. But at this point, it was very, very easy to tell an investigator, like, no, 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 I just did it to further my career. And they're like, yeah, whatever, we need judges. Uh, Some of these judges were also incredibly corrupt. They would sell certificates. So when you got investigated and cleared for uh, possible crimes or membership into the party, they'd give you a certificate of clearance. These were very easy to counterfeit. Um, so the judges would sell these certificates to Nazi criminals um, and then sign God them. Damn it. And there was no oversight to like, was this person investigated? Fuck it. Sure. He has a certificate. He's probably good. That's pretty much how that, that oh, went. Wow. Uh, and every uh, state in Germany would have a minister for denazification. Uh, these varied wildly depending on their corruption level and level of personal belief in the, in the Nazi ideology and membership. In the, in the case of Bavaria, which was, uh, you could call it a Nazi heartland, a guy named Anton Pfeiffer was the minister for denazification. And after allied forces came through and pretty much cleaned house of everybody who party membership, possible war crimes, profiteering, slavery, shit like that, fired them all. Pfeiffer went through and reinstated 75% of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> Imagine not being in that 75% and finding out that Anton really didn't like you at the parties. Like, how bad of a yeah. Nazi do you have to be for Anton to be like, yikes, no, bro. Yeah, right. Like, you had, like you went one step too far. Now, I alluded before to the Soviet method of this. It turns out their method was much, much simpler. Are you ready for it? Bullet. They handed you over to the NKVD oh. and you disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> the NKVD are fucking rough. Yes. Oh, you didn't. Uh, so you the didn't de- clap at Stalin's fucking joke. Dead. That's that's a disappearing. <laughs> now the Nazi denazification process and the Soviet zone of control, which would eventually turn to East Germany, uh, when it was handed over directly to the NKVD, and almost every party member that was dumb enough to stick around in the Soviet zone of control was thrown into the Gulag Why the fuck system. Would they stay there? 
I have no idea. The summers? Uh, I, mean, I stayed I mean, for the summers. Maybe they were hoping that, I don't know, that if you weren't like a high-ranking Nazi, they'd leave you alone. What? But I have no, I have no idea. Um, even minor party members were chucked into the gulag. People that were connected to him were chucked into the gulag. And, of course, there's a lot of interrogations that came up. They're like, I need, like you need to name names. So, and, you know, the NKVD interrogating people was If I you know, happened torture. to mow a lawn of a lower-ranking Nazi official, I would get out of the country. Just for mowing yes. their lawn. If, if like if I like and the NKVD would torture the shit out of people, especially like regional bosses of the party, until they gave up other people that some of them were not even party members. They'd just give up names so they'd stop getting tortured. Uh, Ronald McDonald. Uh, and the vast majority of people who ended up being sent into the gulags from East Germany would die there. Uh, by the time the, the prison system was handed over to the East Germans in 1950, 80,000 people had died. Oh, wow. So if, if, you're, if you're a believer in karma, there you <laughs> yeah. go. That's all I'll say. Um, now, this was not, I, I, don't, I don't mean to say I agree with the Soviet version of denazification, because they did not send away people who had special skills. Like, people in the Abwehr or, like, the German intelligence... Uh, high-ranking SS members who happen to know stuff, uh, scientists who are party members, uh, they were pretty much folded right back into East German society, and several high-ranking members of the Gestapo ended up being in the Stasi, which was really? the East German KGB. Yeah. So if you were, like, a bastard who happened to be good at something that the Soviets needed, congrats, you weren't going to the Gulag. Oh, wow. And if you didn't want to work with the Soviets, congratulations, you're going to the Gulag, <laughs> yeah. and so is your family. So, like, you had people who absolutely sent Jews to death camps who would then end up working in the Stasi. Um, and that happened a lot. Uh, nobody's entirely sure how, how much that happened, but it is not a rarity. Okay. Now, the next part of Allied demilitar- uh, the next part of all this Allied demilitarization was much more straightforward. German soldiers were demobilized by the millions, and a ton of their supply, their like their war supplies, uh, like tanks, artillery, stuff like that, would eventually be folded into both the future Bundeswehr and the um, East German, I believe they call it the Volks Army or something like that. Um, I don't remember the People's Army of Democratic Freedom, probably. Um, a lot of that would be folded over uh, temporarily until like the Warsaw Pacts and NATO could flood their own weapons into those forces. Uh, but a lot of them were destroyed uh, because there's just so much war material, right? right? Uh, a couple units in the in the uh, Wehrmacht were kept active for a short amount of time as local police forces to augment uh, Allied forces. But the Allied Control Council. Uh, put out Proclamation 2 on September 20th, 1945, that said, quote, All German land, naval, and air forces, the SS, the SA, the SD, the Gestapo, and all organizations, staffs, and institutions, including the General Staff, the Officers Corps, the Reserve Corps, military schools, war veterans organizations, and any other military or quasi-military organizations, together with the clubs and associations which to serve and keep alive the military traditions of Germany, shall now be and finally completely abolished in accordance with the methods and procedures laid down by Allied representatives. The hammer came down so hard, they abolished the veterans' organizations. <laughs> Outstanding. Awesome. I think we, we need to do that in America. Take down the VFW. 
like I, I'm, I'm not one for proclamations coming from the White House, but I might support one that abolished like the American Legion. I think that would be a good idea. Uh, the, the official order to actually dissolve the Wehrmacht did not come until 1946. Most of the high command was either dead or in prison for war crimes. And obviously all was right in the world, right? Right? Mm. Everything's good from here. Nope. Of course not. Or we wouldn't be talking about this shit. Now, as the 40s turned into the 50s, a little thing started to happen throughout Europe, throughout the world, uh, that made the Allied forces go through all of this trouble of demobilizing a mostly functioning military with training and, and a command structure. Now, you can say that you probably shouldn't give command to Nazi war criminals, and I would definitely agree with you. But the fact remains that the Wehrmacht was still largely functioning by the end of the war. Um, but what do you think happened that made them go from demobilizing that to suddenly thinking maybe West Germany needs an army again? Made me think? The Cold oh, yeah. War. The Cold War. Now, in 1949, the Soviets detonated their first atomic bomb, the RDS-1. And then in 1950, the Korean War started. Uh, this led to something of a reevaluation of the defensive needs in Western Europe, should old Uncle Joe uh, decide that the Soviet Union needs some uh, more front yard space on the other side of East Germany. Also, watching North Korea steamroll into South Korea with Soviet support made people start to wonder if East Germany might get the same fucking idea about West mm. Germany. And this is when the idea of a new West German army began to be floated. Now, if, if you would think who would support this idea the most, who do you think it'd be? Um, like NATO, the I'd U.S., something the US. like that, right? German Chancellor Konrad Adenauer. Uh, he's the, the Chancellor of Western Germany. Arden, uh, Adenauer thought that the best way for West Germany to assert its sovereignty and break away from its appearance of, like, an allied puppet government, which it was, um, I mean, it, East and West Germany at this point, on, on when it comes to their own independence and sovereignty, is that Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man yeah. thing. Neither one of them are in control of their own destiny, uh, because we saw what happened last time Germany was in control of their own destiny. <laughs> uh, now... Uh, he thought that, like, if we have a military, we could join NATO, and then we would be a partner rather than a subordinate. Um, now, the only real opponent to this in NATO uh, and the rearmament plan in Western Germany was France, because they'd already fucking seen what happened the last goddamn time Germany rearmed, and they didn't want to see that shit again. There was a problem, though. A pretty big problem. Who in the fuck would want to join up a in a German army that Dwight Eisenhower himself called a criminal organization full of Nazis. Furthermore, who the hell was going to lead and organize it? Because everybody was dead, or if they'd survived the war, they were in prison. Adenauer and the U.S. leadership quickly came to the conclusion that they were going to have to rehabilitate the image of the fucking Wehrmacht. Really? Oh, yeah. They weren't alone. Thankfully for them, this legwork had already been started all the way back in 1945. In uh, what was known as the General Memorandum, written by General Fr uh, Franz Halder and Field Marshal Erich von Manstein, and submitted to the International Military Tribunal at Nuremberg, 
Uh, in it, they attempted to portray the regular army, that being the Wehrmacht, as apolitical oh. and, bl- and blamed all of the grievous war crimes on the Nazi regime itself or the SS and other party functionaries. Mm. It should be noted. Go ahead and uh, prepare a seat for our third host. That this gathering of high-ranking Germans to write this memorandum happened at the suggestion of William J. Donovan. In case you're unaware, William J. Donovan would eventually become the founder of the hit the hip hop siren, the CIA. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while, CIA. Welcome back, boys. But he was not alone. Uh, this was not like an original idea of, of Donovan's. He just happened to talk to them in person. Um, Though at the time it was thought that the German army could be reformed and used as a bulwark against communist expansion uh, and that the regular commanders, regardless of their crimes, should not be prosecuted. A lot of this has to do with uh, the Wehrmacht officers being old conservative church going men. So like a lot of uh, especially British and a lot of Americans, not so many French, to be fair. Um, because like they lived through it, they were occupied by them, thought that uh, these men can't be that much different than I am. Look how much we like we have in common. Like obviously Hitler was the problem. Look at in but the U.S. <laughs> yeah, like uh, you know, they almost all of them were from a, a lot of the German officer class, like this Prussian aristot- uh, uh, aristocratic class of of officers, like gentleman types who could trace your lineage back to some fucking inbred noble somewhere. Um, or they like fought world war one, uh, like, like a lot of people did. Okay. So they weren't, they weren't, they were thought of as being military leaders independent of Nazi control. And like, you know, they're, they're normal God fearing men. Like how could they be so much different than I am? And like, they're just soldiers. They did soldier stuff. Like, uh, and uh, this is not true, and we'll talk about that. But they thought like war crimes, such as like bombing cities or like killing civilians, uh, quote unquote, on accident or a quote unquote as a mistake, uh, should not be a crime. And a lot of the soldiers, especially in the UK, did not think uh, punish like they didn't. They were not comfortable punishing soldiers in like because they they thought they saw themselves in the Wehrmacht command, like. They, they rightfully said if the if the positions were flop, were flopped, the Nazis would be prosecuting us. And that I would say you're correct, but not the way you think you are. They would just prosecute you because you fought the Nazis. Right. But the U.S. was not alone this batshit insane fuckery, to use a science term. Adenauer met with British General Maurice Hankey. <laughs> Go ahead and laugh at his last yeah. name. I know I did. This piece of Christmas shit who believed that the very concept of war crimes trials were wrong. Uh, Hanky eventually gathered together a lobby of people who believed much of the same way, uh, much the same things that he did. This included people from both the conservative and labor parties, various field marshals, lords, and other people like religious leaders and historians, including J.F.C. J. Fuller, uh, who is a British historian and noted Nazi apologist. Using this lobby, they managed to pressure Colonel Alexander Scotland, who was the head interrogator uh, for Nazi war criminal Albert Kesselring. Oh, wow. um, now, Alexander uh, K- Colonel Scotland interrogated a lot of Nazi war criminals, but he was the head interrogator for Kesselring, who was a pretty right. big deal. 
Um, but he got pressured so hard. Now, I don't know if this is a Scotland personally believe this or his career was threatened and not a lot of it's said, but it's one hell of a 180 to go from interrogating this guy for horrible, grievous war crimes and then writing a letter to the Times in 1950 to call his own guilty verdict into question. Really? Yes. Uh, now, it should be noted that Kesselring was uh, found guilty and sentenced for ordering the massacre of Italian civilians as well as pressing thousands of Jews into slavery and deporting thousands more to die in the gas chambers at Auschwitz. His guilt is not in question. Hmm. Like, memos with his name on it and his signature survive to this day. Uh, And he had been sentenced to death. Through the efforts of this collection of assholes I just named, as well as Winston Churchill and Bertrand fucking Russell, his death sentence was commuted and he was eventually released from prison. Really? Oh, yeah. Now, Kesselring was one of several former German leaders who'd go on to work for the U.S. Army Historical Division after the war. The Historical Division, by the way, still exists to this day. Uh, And they were the main driving factor of the clean Wehrmacht myth. What? And this is why. Kesselring was joined by noted assholes such as Heinz Guderian, Fritz Halder, Lothar Rendelich, and a few other people. Um... Now, Guderian was one of the few people that the historical division employed that was not convicted of war crimes, though he was a Nazi, and he was suspected of ordering the massacre of civilians, but nobody could place it at his feet. Hmm. While working in the historical division, it would be their job to write the operational history of the German side of World War II, most importantly, the Eastern Front. This little detail uh, allowed a collection of Wehrmacht High Command to effectively write their yeah, own history. It a little biased. And therefore, yeah, and rehab their own image with no historical oversight or peerage at all. This meant that the U.S. military bankrolled their own clean Wehrmacht myth before they actually bought into it a few years later after the, what, they, what they thought was necessity. God damn it, U.S. Now, a few people that were worked with the division knew that the Nazis were up to some bullshit. They knew straight up that they were lying about some things. But these collections of war history, uh, these, these, this collection of war criminals had something that nobody else in the U.S. Army had. Experience fighting the Soviets. So they saw that this operational history of the Eastern Front as a key of figuring out how to prosecute a future war against the USSR. Huh. That was their reasoning. What they, Oh yeah. And what they actually created was probably the most effective Nazi propaganda machine that's existed since the fall of Nazi Jesus Germany. <laughs> what the fuck? Halder produced 2,500 manuscripts from around 700 different German officers, all detailing their personal experience during world war II. The problem? Halder edited every single one using truth, half-truth, and straight-up lies. He would then run these edited versions through several different layers of control groups from other Nazi officers who then vet the content edit further in case something slipped through that made them look bad. Who would have thought they would have done that? Yup. Through Hadler, or Haldler, whichever... A narrative was crafted that should the Wehrmacht as an apolitical army that was as much of a victim as Hitler as anyone else, and they stood against him every step of the way. That the army conducted a gentleman's war, and anything and everything that was bad was to be blamed on the SS and the SS alone. Halder was not alone in this. Through him, 
very popular published memoirs were pushed through from Heinz Guderian that would laud and praise the soldierly skills, professionalism, and discipline of the common German soldier. Does that sound familiar yet? This is bullshit. It it's should. Good. That's what's known as pretty much American World War II history until like the year 2000. Now, probably the worst person in this whole group was Eric von Manstein, who was almost certainly responsible for the deaths of around 100,000 Jews in the Crimea. Uh, he also took part in the group, writing about uh, how good of a working relationship he had with the locals really? while, he, uh, while he was in charge of the Crimea. Uh, we were through and uh, kissing babies, you know, handing out food. It's important because Eric von Manstein and Heinz Guderian and um, Erwin Rommel are all pretty much given a pass on a lot of stuff. And I remember having tankers recommend reading the Desert Foxes book. Oh. Or like his his notes and autobiography and research and stuff. Uh, that was all put out by the historical division. Um, yeah. Oh, do I know people Congratulations. like that? You read Nazi propaganda. Yeah. Way to go. Now, when Eric von Manstein died in the 70s, he was given a full military burial by the German government that was attended by hundreds of soldiers in full dress uniform. Hmm. This man killed over 100,000 people. Probably. I, know, I, could, I could libel a dead Nazi, right? Yeah, fuck him. He killed 100,000 people. Uh, so, what kind of war crimes were they covering up? Was the, What kind of war crimes was the, was the, was the Halder cell of the uh, or the Hadler cell of the historical division covering up. What well, why did they go so far in order to cover their own ass? Well, the number of war crimes is so high that nobody will ever be entirely sure of the number. It's impossible to know. Straight up. But it can be said with almost 100% certainty that every single unit, every single unit of the Wehrmacht that took part in Operation Barbarossa, which is the invasion of the Soviet Union, participated in some extent to unspeakable war crimes, some of which are the worst that the human race has ever seen. This includes mass murder, mass rape, genocide, forced deportation, human trafficking, slavery, and sex slavery. Now, most people know the main functionaries of some of these worst crimes on Earth of being the SS or the Eitzen Group and Death Squads, uh, as well as some collaborationist units such as the Ustashi, um, but like these would be, these are the, and rightfully those were the beginning crawl stages of the Holocaust. Like they had the Eitzen group and death squads and like the order and reserve police do the Holocaust by hand effectively until they realized that people can't do that for very long without falling apart. Um, so that's what led to gas chambers. Um, but it is true that the SS and the Eisengruppen and all these other collaborationist groups, their crimes cannot be overstated, but neither can the Wehrmachts. Formations of the regular army worked hand-in-hand -hand with the SS and the Eisengruppen in almost every theater of mass murder throughout the Eastern Front. In Soviet Belarus, which is one of the worst, most hard-hit parts of the entire USSR during this time, one in three Belarusians died before even being sent to a death camp. Like, they wow. killed so many of them, they didn't even bother sending them to, off to the death camps. And almost all of this murder was done at the hands of the regular army, working hand-in-hand -hand with the Eitzen group and together. I don't know what made me think that today was going to be a good episode. <laughs> yep, but put, a, put <laughs> on your God, sad pants. You're, you're going to get sad. Now, historian Botman Vade Born 
wrote that in his book Marching into Darkness that Wehrmacht soldiers played sadistic Jew hunting games as a pastime while in Belarus. In towns where the Eitzengruppen operated, they did so under the protective perimeter of Wehrmacht soldiers. Because this this, should, this is important. The Eitzengruppen actually sucked at fighting. They were only good at shooting unarmed people. So, like, when partisans or Red Army units attacked them, they pretty much just dropped their weapons and ran. Oh, wow. Uh, so, like, the Wehrmacht had to go and protect them. Now, Nick, if you were to rob a bank, now is to be your lookout guy, and you killed someone, what do you think I'm being convicted of? I, just because I know you, I feel like you wouldn't be there. But if you were there... <laughs> I'm just a, a hypothetical heist where you're now a murderer. Oh, okay. Like I'm being, I'm also being convicted of murder. Because you're right. There. Now do that a million times. Is the Wehrmacht innocent? No. God no. And the idea that the regular army did not know about the Holocaust is, in all honesty, and I mean this in the most academic way possible, total fucking bullshit. Not only did regular soldiers take part, uh, take part of it in the East, their generals actively forced it along, meaning their leadership also knew about it. Their generals were the, like the, the area commanders of their operational zones, sending millions of Jews to their deaths. For instance, uh, one of the generals that worked for the historical department, Rendelik, was begged by a subordinate to protect the Jews in his area of Italy by reclassifying them as labor thus sparing them from deportation and murder. Rendelik refused, and thousands of people were sent to their deaths within 24 hours. Oh, dickhead. Now, now it, could, it could be argued, if I'm playing de- devil's advocate with myself, is it could be argued that Rendelik did not know what was going to happen to them. I would call that person fucking stupid, and this is why. If Rendelik and his subordinates did not know about the Holocaust, I cannot stress this enough, that conversation could have never taken place because why would his subordinate be concerned about right. the deportation? And why would and why would there be deportations going on? They knew what the final solution was. And there's a good reason why we think that they knew that because in 1941, 1.3 million cables that were sent between the SS and the Wehrmacht units fighting in the Eastern Front were intercepted and decrypted by British intelligence. Uh, they unveil that not only was the Wehrmacht freely taking part in mass murder, but they are coordinating it with the SS and the Eitzengruppen to ensure that they could team up and do it even better. More importantly, it showed that not only were generals and field marshals aware of the Holocaust, company and field grade officers were as well, wow. meaning that common soldiers absolutely fucking knew what they were taking part in. Then there was the Bar- Barbarossa Decree of 1941, an order given to the Wehrmacht soldiers by a general prior to their invasion of the Soviet Union, decreeing that the war against the USSR would be, quote, one of extermination. Oh, wow. And openly discuss the murder of political and intellectual elites within Russia. You might also recognize that as the Commissar Order, when they kill anybody connected to the political branch of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Most importantly, it underlined that nobody would be held accountable of war crimes, saying, quote, German soldiers who commit crimes against humanity, the USSR, and prisoners of war are to be exempt from criminal responsibility, even if the criminal acts are punishable in according with German law. They actually use the term crimes against humanity. They knew what they were doing. They knew, and normal soldiers were told this. Now, here's where things get really fucking dark. Have you ever heard of the Baba Yar massacre? No. So it is the single largest act of genocide committed in probably human history, and certainly during the Holocaust. It happened in Babi Yar, Ukraine, 
Regular German soldiers, along with the SS, the Sonderkommando Eitzing Group, and various other functionaries, killed 35,000 Jews over the course of about two days by rifle and machine gun fire. Regular soldiers did that. And Bob, uh, the Bobby Yar massacre scene would be used as a future massacre scenes. At, at the end of the war, they said it's upwards of like 100,000 people would be murdered there. But the Bobby Yar massacre over the course of about 48 hours killed 35,000 people. So that's where we have to wonder, like, okay, so how did this end up becoming more of a thing, right? So after the footwork of the uh, of rehabilitation was underway the german chancellor met with several other high-ranking wehrmacht members that were still free and alive one of them was hermann forstich i think is how his name is pronounced i'm not sure he worked directly under field marshal walter von rickenau who had ordered the severity order now the severity order laid the groundwork for huge amounts of war crimes that regular soldiers would go on to commit on the eastern front i won't read the whole order but it starts with, quote, the most important objective of this campaign against the Jewish Bolshevik system is the complete destruction of its sources of power and the extermination of the Asiatic influence in European civilization. Certainly sounds like a genocide order yeah. to me. Yep. So, yeah, the chancellor met with that guy's buddy and a few other people. Uh, and this, ga- this gathering of former Nazi leadership came together to put a list of demands that the Allies and the West German government would have to meet in order for them to support re- rearmament and a, for- and a new Western German, mili- a Western German military. This memorandum, known as the Himrud uh, Memorandum, demands that all German soldiers convicted of war crimes should be released. And the, quote, defamation of the German soldier, including the Waffen SS, would have to stop and their images would have to continue being rehabilitated for the domestic and foreign public. The chancellor agreed. Jesus. Yep. Uh, They agreed and took the memo to Allied Powers, who also agreed. What? Making the memo... Yep. Uh, Yep. Yeah, we did that. We did that. Uh, Whoops. (laughs) Uh, though they did not make the memo public, though it is very easy to see uh, as like all around like the, the various prisons where uh, war criminals were being held, like the war criminals that were not executed. All the executions had mostly taken place. A lot of commutations to life imprisonment were made. And then those commutations of life imprisonment were then released. Yep. And then the people who got like 25 years would then like get brought down to like time served. A lot of that happened. Um, then a public declaration from the Supreme Allied Commander, Dwight Eisenhower, said, quote, say something good. I, have, I have come to know that there is a real difference between the German soldier Damn and it. Hitler and his criminal group. For my part, I do not believe that the German soldier has lost his honor. Dick. Now, about two years before, he said that they were all war criminals and Nazis. What? what? Why the 180? Was it because of the memo? He saw the memo and was like, oh, fuck. Uh, I think it, like it, it all has to do with the red peril. Like they were so worried about like the Soviets storming across the Fulda Gap or whatever that they decided like, yep, I guess we're saddling up to hang out with some Nazis. And this wasn't even like the worst plan that they came up with. Winston Church, I think I've talked about this before, but Winston Winston Churchill had a plan called Operation Unthinkable. The name is a hint that as soon as World War II ended, they would immediately rearm the Wehrmacht and then invade the Soviet Union. Really? Oh. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. 
<laughs> Harry Truman, who remember nuked Japan, was like, "That's too much." Really? <laughs> yes. That's it. What? I didn't know any of this. Yep. That's fucking crazy. Yep, it almost certainly would have ended the world because uh, it involved a whole lot of nukes. Huh. Because what it came down to is everybody understood that the Soviets would eventually get their hands on a nuke, and they had to invade them before they had them. And we had nukes. But we also only had, like, four at the time because they were still really hard to build. (laughs) So, But we definitely would have used them all, having no idea that marching soldiers straight through the cloud afterwards would have fucking killed them. (laughs) For sure. Now... After all this happened, the German chancellor made a speech to the halls of government, saying that German soldiers had fought honorably and for their uh, motherland. Soon afterwards, officer pensions were restored. God damn it. <laughs> now, not all of them. Only some. Even then. <laughs> if you were like, yeah, yeah. And the chancellor visited war crimes, uh, war criminals in prison in order to court the veteran vote. What? Now, if that sounds ridiculous to you as an American... It's because it is. In America, you have to pardon war criminals in order to court the veteran vote. That's right. Uh, The German war crime law was then suddenly redefined. Uh, So it meant only that the SS, the security police, the concentration camp guards and the uh, or guards of the ghetto and forced uh, like people who helped to force labor uh, could be investigated for breaking the law. Only them. This fucking bullshit. I want to change the definition to stuff now. So, in 1955, the German Bundeswehr was formed. Now, I do have to point out that Adenauer actually wanted to stick with the name Wehrmacht, but even NATO thought that was too far. <laughs> hey, yeah. It's like, I'm nope, you can't do that! that. <laughs> you know, the, the old school classic, you know, Wehrmacht. Everybody already knows the name. Now, I do have to point out, because I'm going to be shit-talking the Bundeswehr here, I worked with guys in the Bundeswehr, great dudes, um... And Did you? it is oh. noted. Oh yeah, uh, and, and and it is noted in Bundeswehr history. They do not claim lineage to anything to do with the Wehrmacht. Um, unfortunately, that is not always the case. Uh, there's a there's a bit of a Nazi problem within the ranks of the Bundeswehr. Uh, Wonder how that happened. Oh, I see. Uh, but the, when the Bundeswehr was formed, literally hundreds of former Wehrmacht officers were within its ranks, Jesus. and one of them would eventually become the Allied commander of NATO. In really. Europe. Yes. How? How is this happening? <laughs> I think it was in the 60s. What? So, and for a long time, that's just how this was. The Wehrmacht was rehabilitated, and the Bundeswehr even named dozens of bases after former Wehrmacht leadership and, Germ- and uh, German historians kind of just went real hands-off for a while when it came to researching the brutalities of World War II. Uh, I will give them credit. Probably a good call. Like... You know, maybe you guys don't need German voices talking about this right now. Good on them. Uh, unfortunately, this meant that literal Nazi war criminal propaganda writing about their own history became the main popular narrative throughout the Western world, including Germany itself. Mm. That is when a group of German historians said, wait, wait a minute, fuck this shit. And then what became known as the Hysterikreitscheid. Huh? And I probably butchered that, but I meant historical <laughs> quarrel. <laughs> it sounded like you just had a stroke. I did. Uh, but German historians in the 1980s, mostly those in the left wing, pointed out just how terrible Germans were at researching their own history. 
Though it, it could be rightfully argued that the movement actually began in the 60s with a few deep dives into things like the Commissar Order and uh, studies into the political indoctrination of Wehrmacht by academics like Manfred Messerschmitt and Hans Adolf Jakobsen. Uh, but those didn't quite blow up like, uh, like it was in the 80s, and they pretty much got told to shut the fuck up. Uh, conservative elements of German academia, uh, academia and society kind of sort of just simply followed along with the explanation that Hadler had given while lying his ass off and manipulating the narrative. Uh, that was kind of just accepted as history. Though, admittedly, some of these elements in uh, these supposed historians went even further. Like a guy named Ernst Nolte who was a professor at the Berlin Free University, thought that the Holocaust was, quote, not a unique event, and, and, quote, the German people bore no responsibility for the actions of their government. Not a unique Bro. event. <laughs> Bro, Jesus. Did not see that no. coming. Oh, probably a related note. Nolte eventually won, a war, uh, won an award for his... Uh, his his efforts in historical research. Y- y- you want to guess on what that award was called? Tell me. The Conrad Ar- Adenauer Award. Oh, wow. <laughs> in the year 2000. With all these guys winning awards in history and whatnot, there's chance for you to win something. I mean, at the very least, I'm not a Nazi. That's true. Like, yeah. I got th- that's that's going to be my tagline. Vote Joe Kasabian, not a Nazi. Which, honestly... Is a bit of a is like a bit of a thing these days because we have so many actual Nazis oh, running true. around again. I'm I'm sure rehabilitating literally millions of Nazi soldiers had nothing to do with that at all. <laughs> so in this dispute between historians, which lasted years and was covered by editorials and televised debates, um, the actual good German historians uh, uh, kind of did a really good they, job. They, they fought these top. assholes. Yeah. Uh, they fought these assholes in order to reject Hadler's Nazi propaganda. That's good. Which had l- largely become just the field of studying World War II history at that time. <sighs> I mean, that will happen when, like, and Hadler knew what he was doing. Like, if I literally saturate the market with historical texts written six months after the fucking war ends, it's going to become the predominant voice. Right. And that's, and that's what he did. But slowly, the actual historians were winning. However, the conservative historians were not going to take this defeat lying down. And by that, I mean they stopped attempting to be historians and just turned into Nazis. Really? <laughs> uh, they, yeah. Uh, they literally quoted Nazi propaganda of World War II by saying that the Wehrmacht was holding back the, quote, Asiatic flood. Oh, wow. Which, if you note, was literally in the severity order. <laughs> They went back to their roots. Yeah. Uh, and uh, another historian said that the Holocaust was, quote, a natural defensive action against the Soviet what? Union. Yep. Huh. And that's when you have to realize that these guys hadn't just bought into Nazi propaganda turned out by the historical division. They were actually just Nazis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, a real break came in 1995. So Holy we're talking about pretty shit. recent history. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. When a, a, Torah, a touring museum exhibit put on by the Hamburg Institute for Social Research hit the road, um, it, it, crea- it curated thousands of war crimes and evidence of them committed by the Wehrmacht. It toured 33 different German cities over the course of four years. 
And it was almost certainly the first time that the vast majority of Germany was confronted by the reality of the Wehrmacht. Their exhibit included photographic evidence, letters, and personal accounts of crimes committed by regular German soldiers. I mean, Holocaust education was absolutely nothing new to the German people, but that education was pretty much what Halder laid out. It pushed all of the blame onto the SS and the groups around it. This is the first time that people literally saw thousands of pictures of someone who very easily could have been their grandfather smiling, laughing, and joking while shooting innocent people into a ditch. Mm. And remember, all of these pictures were taken by German soldiers because they probably were really proud of what they were yeah. doing. Now, this tour is not was not a silver bullet uh, when it came to fixing decades of ahistorical bullshit, but it certainly helped. Now the overwhelming historical consensus, that being people who can actually research and aren't brain-dead nationalists, is that the Wehrmacht was really not much different than any other arm of the Nazi murder machine. Now, uh, the, when this started coming around about the mid-90s, and even today, the Bundeswehr began changing uh, the names of its bases. Uh, no, they, they never really ruled out Fort Hitler or, like, post-Goring. <laughs> post-Goring. But, like... They, they did have, like, I think, like, 70 bases. No, sorry, 50 bases named after people connected to the Wehrmacht. Oh. Uh, they did start to change them. Unfortunately, there are still at least two bases named after Erwin Rommel. Really? <laughs> yeah. That might not change. Yeah, probably not. Um, he, I mean, he was part of, like, the von Stauffenberg clique of people that... Um, that like they could that the Bundeswehr could rely on, like see look not all German soldiers were bad but like Erwin Rommel and von Stauffenberg were Nazis, hundred percent. Von Stauffenberg may have tried to kill Hitler. Well, he did try to kill Hitler, and there's uh, uh, there's a small chance that Rommel was included in that. But all the way up until that point, their careers were dependent on loyalty to the Nazi regime, and von Stauffenberg was a fucking anti-Semite. Yeah. He just didn't think Jews should be killed, but he didn't want them in Germany. So, like, split that fucking hair if you want to. I'm not going to. <laughs> but, yeah. Now, in the West, if you're still spouting off on this shit, congratulations. You fell for a literal Nazi propaganda. You absolute idiot. I don't think we have anybody listening I've, to this show that would actually believe any of that. I think there might be a fair amount of people who did not know of the severity of, of, oh, for of sure. the, the length I of, the, of what the Wehrmacht like, or like how that the U.S. literally helped rehab the Wehrmacht. Um, now, like we've done a lot of terrible things for fear of other people, especially like the Soviets. I mean, we had Nazi, we had Nazi and Japanese war criminals working for our government after the war because we wanted to get a leg up on the Soviets. Like this is nothing new. Right. Like the commandant of Unit Seven Thirty One worked in Maryland. Oh, yeah. Like, come on, man, come the fuck on. <laughs> Though, to be fair, I think personally, I would rate rehabbing literally tens of millions of people that were absolute monsters is worse than employing a, a one or two people. Though, I mean, the, the Wehrmacht killed a lot more people than Shiro Ishii did. So I, I'm not going to be the one to decide which one of those is worse or better, honestly. I, I can't judge that shit. I'll let you do it. So, Nick, how you feel, man? Feeling all right? This episode sucked. <laughs> I knew of the clean Wehrmacht, but didn't know that far into it definitely yeah i i have to admit when i started researching it i knew a fair amount but i didn't know that it was 
actually like had a lot to do with the German government. And which is interesting because Conrad Adenauer was a noted anti-Nazi and like didn't and very nearly got sent off to camps on multiple occasions during World War II. Like he wasn't as like as far as I know, he never worked with the Nazis. Though Hitler didn't dislike him personally, he just disliked his politics. Like as a person, he was fine. Right. Like if he disliked him that much, he would have been murdered. So like maybe that's a warning sign. I don't know. But a lot of that could be hoisted on, like we talked about in our in our White Rose episode, that so many um, facets of German society had pretty much turned professional snitch. That I mean, silence was your best bet of surviving, right. even if you were an anti-Nazi. So like, I don't know, man. I'm not I'm not going to judge how anybody survived World War II unless like you were in the German military, in which case, yeah, yeah, in which case, go fuck yourself. I don't know. Rest in piss, bitch. So, Nick, I know more lighthearted note. We do a thing on this show called Questions from the Legion. part of the show. This one's pretty good. And I've been meaning to not address it, but now I will. Have you heard of the U.S. Army esports team? I have. Okay, so the question of the Legion is, how do you feel about people trolling the U.S. Army's oh, esports team Twitch stream? It's fucking amazing. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Awesome. Um, now, I'm, now, a lot of this is happening... Um, from like uh, quote unquote left wing activists, I don't consider trolling a Twitch page activism. I mean, I get that like people are really mad and they want to do something and this makes you feel good. Do it. I think it's hilarious. I don't think I don't think you're affecting change. No, yeah, it's hilarious. I don't think it's a form of activism. No. I mean, we grew up in an era where the army was already using video games to target recruits, yeah. right? Like, uh, America's yeah, army was doing that America's army free. <laughs> and how many people do you think they recruited? None, right? First of all, the game, the game sucked. Awful. But did I buy two? Uh, yes. I mean, think of it this way. I see the amount of people being, uh, thinking that they can be, or th- thinking that, uh, they're, they're going to get like tricked into recruiting or whatever. One, I think that takes a lot of agency away from uh, 18 and 19 year olds. They're, they're smarter than people give them credit for every, like what's the first thing you like people told you when, when you went and talked to a recruiter, Oh, he probably lied to you. Like everybody fucking knows they lie. Yeah. Um, now could they be targeting the gullible? Sure. But I think the same amount of people that are going to be inspired to enlist because of an esports team is the same amount of people that are going to be inspired to enlist from a fucking NASCAR advertisement. Like, it's the lowest common denominator here, and they were probably going to enlist anyway. Now, obviously, I am not super pro-military. I was in it. I hate it for a very personal reason, on top of everything else that we talk about literally every week on this show. Um, Now, if you're out there and you're an activist and you really want to affect military recruitment, you should attempt to get recruiters out of schools. And you should attempt to address some of the underlying issues that lead people into joining, like lack of health care or affordable education. Yes. By affordable, I mean free. Uh, those will affect recruitment numbers. I'm not saying don't shit post in a Discord or a Twitch page. I think that shit's yeah, that hilarious. Shit's and to be fair, uh, the Army did shut their esports team down. Didn't know they shut them down. Uh, well, they had to stop their Twitch page. Uh, because what happened was is a lot of people were asking them about yeah. war crimes yeah, and, and immediately getting banned from the Discord or from the twi- from the Twitch channel. That ended up being, I believe, a violation of Twitch's uh, uh, user agreement that they could ban people for that. 
I assume that you could be banned for any reason. I'm, the First Amendment does not apply to social media. We all know that. Because, like, it, the government is not Twitch. But the army is a government institution. So people rightfully made the argument to Twitch, like, they're an arm of our government. They should not be able to censor us. Mm. And, Twi- and Twitch is like, oh, good point. Yeah. So the so the army shut it down. Wow. But this did lead, uh, lead to a whole bunch of hilarious people doing what they called speed runs on the Discord and seeing how fast they could get banned, which, like, is hilarious. Um, I mean, did that affect recruitment? Probably not at all in any way. But, I mean... You got it shut down, which is hilarious. Good job, shit posters. Yeah. <laughs> you did it. Uh, I, I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, I just don't think it's going to affect any real change. Like, I can't see anybody like, I was really on the fence about listing until I watched this fucking Twitch channel. Yeah, and just watch them. Like, no, I, I don't see that either. No. Um, and then again, you know, times have changed and people are in. It's true. I, I wouldn't know how it is now. Personally, I strongly disagree with the military being able to use any kind of video games or entertainment to recruit people. I think that's kind of gross. Uh, mostly because, how do you think they're fucking paying for it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, they have an obscene budget. Uh, but, like, yeah, I mean, don't stop trolling them. I'm not saying that. Would I do it myself? No. Because, like, I honestly, what it comes down to is I feel bad harassing some like specialist who got a sweet fucking game oh, playing Call of Duty, gig. and like, cause I would fucking do that. That's like I, one of my jobs in the army is working in the tax center. Your do you think they, I, your unit would not send you? No, um, like I when I worked in the tax center, coming to the front desk and yelling at me about federal tax reform isn't going to do anything. I don't control it. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. Like. Keep trolling them if they pop back up. I think the Navy's is still up. Tell them I said hi. Uh, but, like, I don't know. I mean, times are changing, but also I, I strongly agree with um, uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez when she submitted a – or Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez when she submitted a, um, a bill that would ban anything like that, uh, like using video games to recruit or, like, movies to recruit and stuff like that. Like, I, I'm totally fine with that. Um, but, like – uh, the trolling a Twitch page isn't burning your draft card, y'all. Calm down. Like, let's let's be real here. Uh, it's like Twitter is an activism, and either is trolling people on Twitch. It doesn't mean it's not funny. It's just not activism. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, y'all. Until next time. Thank you for joining Hopefully us. A better Nick, episode next time. Nick, thank you for suffering through this. And until next time, um, don't rehabilitate Nazi war criminals to own yeah, the communists. <laughs> Later.